Now, here's what I'd like to do. I'm going to cover some of these issues. These issues are issues that you all need to be aware of as you become teachers. They're issues that are going to affect you in the classroom, and I'm going to go through some advocacy strategies to help your children that are challenged by these issues. All of these are issues that migrants deal with. However, you are going to have non-migrant children in your classroom who are affected by some of these issues. Now, the first thing I want to discuss that surrounds all of this when we address these issues is the importance of networking. Whether you have a child that comes to your classroom and has got a dental problem, or maybe he's got a vision problem, or an emotional problem, or you have a child that comes to you and the electricity's been cut off, or they don't have running water. As advocates, the bottom line is you need to be networked into community. So I have three pieces of very practical advice for all of you. The minute you get a job teaching, number one, whatever community you're in, you gotta take a drive around your community and get to know your community, and you need to get to know the resources in your community. And this includes all of you need to have a little Rolodex that you can, or a notebook with all your resources in your community. This will include things like the Social Service Department, um, the Community Action Agency. I'll pass this around. I'm a firm believer in directories. This is a directory of all the Community Action Agencies. You need to know what services they provide so that you can help your families if they have a situation that where they need assistance. So I'm just going to pass that around. Um, you need to know where your food banks are. Most towns have a food bank. All right. Um, you need to know what, what churches have clothes closets. I know teachers that get donations of clothes, and they have a clothes closet. How many of you in your classes have seen children that seem, every time you see them, they seem to be wearing the same clothes? Okay. Got two right here, okay? Or you see, have any of you seen children in your class that they haven't seemed to have bathed in a week or so? Okay, how is the school addressing it? They haven't. All right, they haven't. You as a teacher can address, I know teachers that get free donations of toothbrushes from Colgate and stuff. They make the kids brush their teeth at school, yes? What do you say to the kid? Like how do you push it? Well, I would just be very honest with the, the child and, and say, you know, I've noticed that you're either wearing the same clothes or, or how important it is to have clean teeth. You know, do you have anything at home that, you know, and then, and listen, I'm going to make a special packet up for you. This is going to be your packet. Here's a, here's a toothbrush. Here's a tooth. When you come into the class, this is your packet. You can go right to the sink and bathroom and brush your teeth and wash up. And, and I have a clothes closet. You want to go through some of the clothes as long as you're friendly and you're personal and you make it kind of a special thing, that's fine. Now, I want to tag on, you say they're not addressing it at your school. Okay, after you get to know your community resources, the second thing is people that you got to get to, you have to get to know in your school. And there's about six or seven individuals that are key. Obviously, the school principal, you, know, you want to be on a first name basis, okay? Who controls the flow of information in the school? Secretary. The secretary, thank you. The secretary is key to controlling the flow of information. And I'll give you an example. We're going to go right into mobility and poverty. In general, the poorer the school you are in, the more those children have moved. And what's the main reason for that? Work. Work is one, but the main reason is, why is it that poor folks 
seem to move more. Jobs. That's the second. But the first thing is, it's housing. It's housing. Most people, when you become, become a teacher, they suggest that you only spend about 25% of your income on housing. However, most poor folks in this country are spending 50 or 60% of their income on housing. And so they either get evicted, they can't afford to pay the rent, or they move. Now back to the issue of the secretary. I visited a school outside Baltimore about eight years ago. This was a school that had a turnover rate of two-thirds. That means you're a teacher and you've got 30 kids in front of you. By the end of the school year, 20 of those kids will have left to go somewhere else and you'll have 20 new kids. Now think about how that challenges you as a teacher. All right. So one of the strategies you can use if you're in a school where there's high mobility is to find out if the child comes to your class in the middle of the school year and you have no school records, what are, what are some things that you can do? First thing I would do, I go to the secretary. Very often the secretary is the person the parents see first. The secretary in this Baltimore school, she had a closet full of records that parents had left behind because they had left without telling them. She says, I don't know where to send them. So if you get a child that comes from another school or another state, it behooves you to call that school, find out what school, and try to get their records. Um, this directory here, this is like my Bible almost. This is the Florida Migrant Education Program Directory. If I get a call from a migrant family that has come from another state to Florida, I can contact the Migrant Education Program in that county, and they'll follow up and they'll try to get the records. If you know that a child in your class is ready to move, as an advocate, it behooves you to put their records together in a bag and give it to those families so they can take them with you. These yellow bags here have a National Migrant Education Hotline number, an 800 number that migrant farm worker families can call anywhere in the country. We give these out in Texas before the families move. So they put their records in here, they have the 800 number. When they get to Ohio, they call the 800 number, they speak to Gloria Vargas, who takes the hotline calls. They say, we're here in Fremont. Gloria calls the advocate and the recruiter in Fremont to get the kids enrolled in school, and their information is all right there. It's what we call educational continuity. It's all part of networking. It's all part of networking. Other individuals in your school that are critical to know, the two that I think are the most critical are the social worker and the nurse. The social worker and the nurse. They're the ones that are going to be connected to community resources. If you have a child that's got a bad molar that's aching, is that child going to be able to learn? All right, you need to be contacting the social worker. Uh, when you go back to your school, do you know if the guidance counselor, the social worker, the nurse have been contacted about that child? And did you notice it? I noticed it, but I didn't know what to say anything to her. All right, did she said that he's like new to our class though. He's what? He's new to our class. All right, well, how are the are the kids how are the kids responding? They notice the smell? I haven't heard them say anything. You haven't heard them say but it's pretty there only a week, so Okay. All right. Uh, what's your first name? Charlotte. Charlotte. Charlotte, you need to speak up next time you go there. See if the child still smells like that. Okay. All right, bring it up to the teacher again and see if you can get permission to speak to the nurse, okay? This is what advocacy is all about. 
Sue advocacy is all about. We can talk about ways to do that. Yeah, and, and right, there's ways of. Because part of it is that when you're when you're doing an internship, you know, yeah. they're not at school all the time, one day a week, right. maybe two days a week, and so there there are different ways to approach advocacy that you know that will be beneficial to the kids and not put you in any sort of jeopardy. And you, I can talk. Yeah, about you might want to ask the teacher if you can take the child and. Wash them down a little bit, give them a little tension or something like that. See what she thinks. And it could be that the teacher just doesn't know what to do either. Right. And so, you know, sometimes talking to teachers and giving them ideas, um, or you may hopefully we'll go back and something's been done. But all right, so let's go back to our first issue here, which is oh, let me finish up quickly the networking. All right, so the social worker, the guidance counselor, the principal, the secretary. It's good to get to know the janitor. All right, those are some of the individuals in your school that you should go up to your first day there and introduce and say hi, be in touch with them. Next, it's real important to contact your parents that first week and to establish contact with them. The more you get your parents involved in your classroom, the more they get to know you, the better you're going to be able to advocate for those kids. All right, the better you're going to be able to advocate for them. If you can get any of your parents to come in and volunteer, a bit that's a great way to get uh, um, to boost the self-esteem of the students and to help you out in the class and it's a powerful message all right the third thing that's incumbent on you all I know you're all going to be very busy your first year but you've got to be involved in at least one civic or church organization it can be the rotary it can be Kiwanis it can be your church group let people know that you're a teacher, especially if you have kids that have special needs. And I'm going to give you an example. I have relationships now with my dentist, my chiropractor, and an eye doctor. This little button here, I always wear this little button. So I'm in my chiropractor's office, and uh, he says, so what's this button all about? I said, well, I run a nonprofit foundation on migrant farm workers. He says, oh, I grew up on a cherry farm in Washington, and we used to have migrants. So we automatically made a connection. A week later, I get a call. I've got a migrant worker out in Archer. He's in his 20s. Two years ago, he was a passenger in a vehicle, got into an accident. He fell out. So he's had pain up in here in his back, and he's working in the nursery. So he's lifting heavy plants all the day, which is aggravating his condition. So I called Kyle up. Kyle's been treating him for free for six months. Free for six months. And all because of just this little connection. Um, my eye doctor, we have a, a six-year-old migrant child. Unfortunately, she's permanently blind in one eye. But we needed a second opinion, and we needed new eyeglasses for her. So my eye doctor knows what I do. I wrote him a letter. Listen to what I do. I wrote a professional letter. I said, uh, Dr. Balch, I have this migrant child. I'd like to come in. And I said, the foundation would like to take care of it. They spent for two hours with this child, full exams and everything, you know what they charge the foundation? $34. What would it cost if you went for a two-hour eye exam these days? All right, exactly. Now, let's talk about dentistry quickly. I know, sorry if I'm jumping around, but dentistry is a big, big issue. I'll just talk a little bit about health. So my dentist knows what I do also. We had three migrant women. Um, they're from Mexico. They have no health insurance. Most of your poor families will not have health insurance. We're going to address that in a minute. So they had, each of them had a couple rotting teeth that were aching them. So she treated them and only charged, gave us a 25% discount. All right. 
So the more you're connected to the community, especially if you can get to know a dentist, that's going to be very valuable. It's very difficult to get dental care for the poor these days, or for anybody. All right, it's really difficult. Almost half the Americans out there have no health insurance to cover dental work. And dentists are very busy, so if you can make a contact with a dentist, you can do a lot, a lot for your kids. If your community has a dental van, you want to make sure you have your kids online that Saturday morning. You know, for example, there's a dental van called Christina's Smiles. It's out of Texas. They follow the PGA Tour, the golf tour. So they came to Minneapolis where there was a golf tournament, and they can see 150 kids over the course of uh, three days, 45-minute treatments. I called the migrant program up there, and they brought about 20 kids in, and they were first in line there. You want to take advantage of every you know, free service. If you're in a university town, find out if the university has a, a dental clinic, a health clinic, whatever free or reduced health clinics you are, you want to know what they are because it'll help your families and your kids out. All right? So those are just a few of the advocacy. So once again, get to know your community, be involved, get networked, and um, you'll do a lot for your kids.